Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really worry like that. Welcome back once again. It is the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Kent Wyrock, and today I am joined by a panel of a couple of friendly guys. We're missing one of our usuals, but that's okay. We'll push on through and see if we can't take care of business as usual. So I am joined by my usual partners here, Matthew Betts and Matt Okada. And today, for the first time ever, we have a guest on the show. It is Travis May. Welcome, Travis. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just glad to be here and hang out with you guys talking about uh, some of these rookie wide receivers and uh, other stuff, I'm sure. So thanks for having me. Yeah. So Travis is in the uh, the Fantasy Authority podcast family tree sort of thing. And he has his own <laughs> Dynasty Life podcast that he hosts uh, over on our website. So you can go check that out. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit more redraft focused here today. And we hope that we can get Travis to switch gears and kind of give us some insight mm-hmm. into these rookie guys, which we know that he knows a lot about because he's playing in tons of dynasty and Devi leagues and things like that. And he's, he's tracking this stuff really well. So, um, you know, real, real quick, Travis, actually, if for those of our listeners who haven't heard of the dynasty life podcast, go ahead and give us a quick kind of breakdown of, of what your show is all about. Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago, uh, myself and Justin McCasland and Andrew Frechette started the Dynasty Life podcast, talking, started talking about uh, our dynasty lives and, uh, and how that fits into the dynasty format of fantasy football, um, which is, you know, where you just keep your players every single year. You get to have the same roster and what you generally do, you just add rookies every single year. So we talked about, uh, you know, uh, just goofy stories how our dynasty life fits into our normal life how we got into it we have guests all the time Uh, they talk about uh, what got them into dynasty what got them into writing or their particular part of uh, the fantasy uh, industry I guess you could say Uh, so it's a lot of fun just uh, just talking about strategies players you know in the spring we spend a lot of time on these these rookies because uh, that's really how we make our teams better I mean we do trade other veterans but you know how you naturally get younger is by adding these rookies. So uh, I've been studying some of these players for the past two, three years in some cases. So I uh, love talking about this stuff uh, and have been doing so for a while. So can't wait to talk more about that uh, tonight and how that fits into redraft. Awesome. And how, how could our followers uh, find you and your podcast uh, on, let's say, Twitter or other places? Yeah, so... Yeah, it's uh, it's just our podcast handle is at Dynasty Life Pod, and uh, I am at ff underscore Travis M, and uh, so yeah, that's you can find us there and ask any questions there, and uh, we love interacting with uh, our listeners and learning from you and, and helping people transition into Dynasty. If you want to give that a try, too, I know that there's not um, you know it's just an easy fix, uh, an, an easy way to get into that all the time. So glad to be a resource in that way. It's a it's a super good podcast actually. When I was first starting in Dynasty, I always went to Travis with all my trade questions cuz he was a dude that was super <laughs> active on Twitter and just like really cares about what the fans are thinking and how he can help out in any way possible. So, if you get an opportunity, go check out that podcast. It's really solid. So, thanks Travis for that information. Hopefully they they get out there and give it a listen. But uh yeah. before we get into these rookie wide receivers that we're all aching to talk about here, uh there's a couple of little news and notes here we'll talk about. Nothing really major going on at this point in time, but uh just recently we did have an extension to running back Duke Johnson of the Cleveland Browns. Now, he was set to be a free agent next year. So, a lot of people, especially, you know, in, you know, holdem formats like Keeper and Dynasty were kind of holding on to him and hoping he'd end up somewhere with a little bit more uh, production possibilities. You know, he could get a couple more touches, maybe more rushes. I know he's kind of been seen as a slot receiver for the Cleveland Browns, but he's locked up. He's going to be there for the next three years. So how does that, you know, affect this Cleveland offense, which by all accounts, I think is starting to look pretty, pretty well-rounded. I think it looks pretty good as assuming their quarterback situation is, is worked out. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on Duke uh, Duke staying in Cleveland? 
Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it from a real football perspective. I think that it just gives that Browns offense another playmaker and another weapon. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to fit into the backfield um, next year, given that they still have Carlos Hyde on on a, a contract. Again, it's structured so it's more like a one year deal, so he could be out of town next year. Um, but you know, with with Nick Chubb there as well. Uh, I'm just not sure what his usage is going to be moving forward, but from a real football perspective, I think it's very interesting for the Browns and just gives uh, Baker Mayfield moving forward another playmaker. Yeah, and from a redraft perspective, I think it just kind of shows us a little bit more that they're really committed to this mixed backfield kind of idea. Um, so it's it will still be interesting to see which of the sort of early down runners between Hyde and Chubb takes more work, but I think it it tells us the Browns are... They want to have a third down back. Duke Johnson is one of the best in the league, and they're really committed to that that kind of concept. So I think that's that'll be interesting to watch uh, for this season with those other two guys as well. Yeah, I'm excited to. I guess it it solidifies his role uh, in the short term. It really kind of stinks because he could have gone somewhere else where there would probably be more opportunity for him to not necessarily feature, but at least be a solid one B or even one A in, in the right situation. Uh, but yeah, I think he has a decent PPR floor every single week this year. Uh, maybe he's more geo than an almost you know running back one in PPR formats. That, but uh, uh, it'll be a lot of fun just to watch the Browns offense actually not be terrible. So <laughs> from that perspective, that's great. Yeah, it's fair to say that the, all eyes are on the Cleveland Browns right now to see if their rebuild actually comes to fruition. So we're all waiting patiently for that to finally happen. Uh, move, moving on, though, uh, we had a little bit of trade rumors, and actually got quite dramatic on Twitter if you do happen to follow fantasy football offseason drama like this, because it gets pretty entertaining at times. But Gronk was rumored to be traded, and if I'm not mistaken, maybe our local Patriots fan here could help me out with the whole timeline, but I, I heard that even like Belichick threatened to quit or something like that if Gronk got traded. Did it get that, you know blazingly dramatic so the report that i saw that seemed to be the most specific said that belichick wanted to trade gronk he had a meeting with Kraft. they had a closed door meeting but then somehow brady found out about it and brady threatened to retire if they traded gronk okay. which uh now listen gronk later said this is all hashtag fake news um Personally, I feel like a lot of this sort of patriot, uh, the crumbling dynasty sort of news cycle that's been happening is a little bit put into the cycle by the patriots. I think that they like people being all up in arms and, and questioning and worrying about them instead of worrying about their own football teams uh, and what they're doing for themselves. I think they like to be a distraction in that way. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was some of that. Uh, but in any case, it looks like he's not actually getting traded, which it may surprise you to know I wouldn't have minded if we'd gotten the right returns. But it's uh, it's it's Belichick mastermind behind the curtains. You know, he, he wants the other teams to let their guards down. Finally, like the Patriots, like you said, it's these crumbling dynasty rumors. He's like, you know, guys, just let your guard down and then we'll continue to beat you for the next three, four five years. So I don't know, Akata. I think I think my Eagles have you guys shook after that uh, Super Bowl victory. <laughs> this is like the third or fourth thing that's come out this offseason. So I think that Super Bowl Super Bowl loss had something to do with it. I don't know. I'll tell you what. I think at least last year the Eagles did deserve that one. Yeah, so it was a great game. I'll give them that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't think there's really much else to talk about. Just uh, it got kind of crazy for a minute there, and people were threatening or not threatening, but people were saying like. Gronk will be traded by the end of the day. And of course it didn't happen because it's the off season and everyone's bored, but um, yeah, so we'll, we'll move on. And you know, we already talked about one running back on the Cleveland Browns. So I thought I'd bring up another one because we never talk about the Browns on this show. They're only the most <laughs> interesting team right now uh, going into this year. But anyway, Hyde was listed as a favorite to start week one. I know we talked, uh, on a previous show about Chubb being a guy who might have a shot to overtake Hyde. I personally was a believer that they, they take Hyde and they use him to the max. They, they run that tread thin on Carlos Hyde until they can get him off the contract for, you know, fairly decent amount of money. And then they go forward with Chubb and use the remainder of that, uh, that contract on him. So 
I don't know. Is there anything else to say on this one? It's it's again, it's Roto World news, off season stuff. It's pretty much just like someone dropped a hint that Hyde was the starter. So, you guys have any insight there? I mean, if you look at uh, how how the uh, Vikings actually handled Latavius Murray last year, uh, you know, he was kind of like the the band aid just in case we could don't get our guy, uh, and then he was kind of an afterthought. And uh, it would be really weird because I think Hyde's actually a lot better than Latavius Murray, but that very well could happen. I mean, Hyde could by week three or four just be a complete afterthought uh, just because of how good Chubb is, Uh, which would kind of be sad. I I Honestly, for Hyde's sake, I just hope he gets traded at this point because this contract's Mm. not insane for some other team to absorb and just give him a shot this year. Uh, So I don't know. I I hope the best for that situation. But for as far as just this year, it looks pretty muddy for anybody being a top end running back option every week. So Travis, on a on a redraft perspective here, if you know, looking in a vacuum, all things considered, who do you want in that Browns backfield between Hyde and Nick Chubb? Uh Nick Chubb, definitely. Yeah. I, I don't think e- either one of them is gonna require a ton of draft capital. Uh but uh Nick Chubb just because he's a a, a rookie and uh, there's noise right now. I think if that continues, and I think it will continue because Hyde's not a, a bad running back. I think he's going to, at least you know, till the end of preseason, maybe look like the starter. And so that would probably make Chubb an even greater value uh, and end up being the best option this year. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad point. For an at-cost perspective, I think Chubb could end up uh, – being a better grab that's that's a good way to put it I I like Hyde as a as the guy to get the most touches and production there this year but the cost might be too much if they're not going to be committing 100% to him as as the leader so yeah that's that's pretty pretty reasonable take there but let's let's go ahead and and get past the news that's all I really had at this point in time it's it's pretty slow part of the year so it's it's June 10th we are a month and a half removed from the NFL draft this year. We have a, a collection of guys here, all wide receivers. We talked about running backs in the last two episodes. We're going to try and crunch, I think, about seven, eight, maybe nine wide receivers into this show, get you guys a good perspective on you know, the situation they landed in, whether or not they have any opportunity in a redraft league to kind of jump in and seize production year one. Last year was kind of a letdown season as far as rookie uh, wide receivers having that year one production. There was really nothing. I mean, there was a couple of weeks out of like Corey Davis and oh Juju Smith-Schuster ended up being a pretty pretty good deal. But other than that, it was it was pretty slow. No one I think made it to even 800 yards or so uh, on the on the season. So nothing year long worthy. Do we think that there might be someone in this crowd? Possibly. We'll talk about him. So we're going to go down one by one here. And up first is a guy who landed on the Atlanta Falcons, and his name is Calvin Ridley. Now, Calvin Ridley is a guy who was kind of touted as one of the most polished receivers coming out of college. He had a really strong game. He had, you know, some awesome dominator scores uh, in the years that he was playing. And he's someone who's a really good route runner and has pretty strong hands. So those are his positive qualities. Now, he showed up to the combine, and he tested quite poorly. And, you know, I don't want to give away all my my arguments against here right away, but uh, he had kind of a lackluster performance at the combine. So, Matt Okada, we're going to kick it over to you. You're a guy who likes Calvin Ridley, and you like where he ended up as far as a redraft league. Tell me why you think he could have production year one with the Falcons. Yeah, so there's a few things. One is that I tend to lean towards more of these technician-type receivers personally, and Calvin Ridley is very much that. Like you mentioned, his route running is extremely good, um, and he's very he's a very polished receiver. Um, and yeah, I, I loved him landing in Atlanta across from Julio. I think that that's, that's a huge... Uh, positive in his favor. Some people might say, oh, he's not going to get the targets that someone else is going to get. Like uh, a guy or two we might talk about uh, in a bit who could be the number one on their team as far as target count. But I think I'd I'd take the slightly smaller dip in targets, uh, but have them be more valuable targets 
And I think on this offense, he's going to have valuable targets. He's going to be running crisp routes while Julio Jones gets double or triple or quadruple teamed or whatever someone tries to throw at Julio Jones. None of it will be enough, obviously. Um, And then Mohamed Sanu was a wide receiver 30 last year in half PPR. He's probably going to go into the slot. Ridley's probably going to take his spot. I think he'll pass Sanu as far as uh, that role in the offense of being the number two. And right now, Ridley's going as wide receiver 48. Uh, So I think compared to the other, in fact, compared to all the rookie wide receivers on this list, he's going much higher than most of them. Um, So the value compared to these other guys is hard to find. But I do think that he has the ability and the opportunity to to return value on his draft position. Just as far as compared to some of the other guys around the league going in that same area. Uh, So yeah, I like him and I like the opportunity. But I know that I know that there's some negatives coming my way. Well, um, real real quick, before we kick it over uh, to to the against kind of arguments here, what what would be around you're thinking about taking him in? Um, right around where he's going. I don't think I'd take him much farther ahead of where he's going. There's a few guys going ahead of him that I'd probably like him over. Uh, I'm looking at the list right now. Guys like Danny Amendola. Robbie Anderson, Martavis Bryant, maybe even Alan Hearns. I'd probably take him over some of those guys, but there's also guys going around and after him that I would take over Ridley. So I think that's probably right around the spot that I would look at getting him, which is about the 10th round, by the way. Okay. And you know, in the, once you start to get to those double-digit rounds, it's it's kind of low risk anyway. So it's not like it's really going to hurt your team if you go after a guy like Calvin Ridley at this point. So... I think it's understandable, but Travis, I, I know you might have, you know, a little bit of, you know, kind of worry about this guy and, and what he can commit to the Falcons year one. Uh, what what reasons do you have for him maybe not being the best option to, to snag, even in the 10th round? Well, first off with just the, the positives, I mean, he is a really polished guy. We've talked about that a little bit. And I think just one thing that's interesting is uh, I was a big Roddy White fan and it was it was really weird uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's really strange. If a lot of people thought it was weird that the Falcons went and grabbed Julio when they already had Roddy, who was at that time he was in the middle of like a six-year run, being a fantasy football wide receiver one, like six years in a row, he was just like just unstoppable. Um, I, one of the only uh, non-Titans jerseys that I have uh, is Roddy White, but uh, and really Julio is at that exact point of his career, like he's the exact same age that. Uh, Roddy was when Julio came into the league and then Calvin Ridley could be the next big thing for the Falcons. And, and if, if he is, that's, that's amazing. I just, I'm not sure if he's up to the task to really lead and anchor uh, an NFL offense. He could do it in college. I mean, he, he showed that at, at Alabama, but uh, I'm not really sure he can do that at the next level uh, given his athleticism and, and uh, size and, and really his overall skill set. But just this year, I don't know if the I think the real issue, even more so than just the talent, is just the opportunity. I think Sanu is more entrenched on the outside than than uh, I believe Matt Matt thinks. I think uh, I think Sanu. I mean, he had like what seventy five percent of the snaps last year, and uh, that's quite a few. I mean, even if you if it dips to you know more around what Gabriel was on the field for, which is about half the snaps. And maybe, you know, Ridley's in that 73 to 75% snap range. I think his cap in terms of targets, I don't think he's just going to plug in and take all of Sanu's targets away. Uh, And Sanu didn't even have 100 targets as the wide receiver, too. So even ideally, like we're looking at a guy who's going to plug in like and say he's as good as Sanu was last year right away and gets 96 targets. uh, That still was what wide receiver 30. Um, so I'm not sure that I'm really excited about that. And I don't think he can do that. I don't think he can plug in and, and immediately better be better than Sanu was in that offense. And so I think he and Sanu kind of filter in and they both are on the field a lot. But I think they both kind of see a, a mix where they're around 60% of the, the snaps and don't probably neither of them eclipse 90 targets this year, which does not translate to fantasy relevance for the most part at all beyond like a wide receiver four, like who you can plug in 
maybe once or twice in, in the season. And, and in round 10, that's not really the kind of player uh, I want to go for in many leagues. So for me, it'd be more like around round 12 or beyond, probably. One thing that I was I was kind of thinking about when you were talking there, Travis, is um, you mentioned some of his strengths and his, his weaknesses. I just have a question for you specifically. Do you think, after watching him play in college and kind of seeing his production, do you think that he has the ability to play against a wide, or sorry, a cornerback one, the, the opposing team's top cornerback, if Julio is out with any any time? Now we know Julio is on the injury report. It seems like every single week, actually, um, but he doesn't miss time too often. I think eventually, as Julio gets older, those you know nicks and, and bumps are going to keep him out here and there. He has, does have some lingering ankle issues um, to consider. So. If Julio misses time this year, is is Ridley a guy that our listeners should be aware of, and should they be excited if he gets the opportunity to be the one at some point this year? Oh yeah, I mean, it, then the opportunity argument goes away. I mean, like, because then it's like, well, then it's him and Sanu. Are, are either of those guys going to assume the Julio role? No, uh, but I think that they're immediately thrust into the flex conversation consistently, if not back in wide receiver two consideration. Uh, if Julio is out for a long time. But as far as facing a cornerback one in the NFL as a rookie, there's almost no one uh, that is ever ready to do that. And I don't think with Calvin Ridley's athleticism that he would be up to that task to do uh, to do that really consistently. But I'm not sure he would be the guy that would be facing him right away either, uh, unless he just you know proves that he is right away. I think Sanu could still get that attention, um, even though... Uh, Ridley's a first-round wide receiver, but he's still a rookie, so I'm not not sure he would even really have to do that every down necessarily. So that's why he probably would be at least interesting uh, if if Julio were to miss time. So definitely, definitely a name to know. Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is that in the last three years, anyone not named Julio Jones hasn't had more than approximately 700 yards in a season. They like to really. Sp- spread the wealth after Julio. I think they, you know, it's definitely the focal point of the offense is, is big old Julio Jones himself. But once <laughs> yeah. you get past him, it's, it's a guessing game and you don't want to have a guessing game receiver, you know, sitting on your bench. He might get you, you know, like some 20 point week on your bench and then you try and play him the next week and he's going to get two targets. And that's not the kind of guy you really want to have in redraft. So, you know, I could see him getting dropped, you know, if he gets drafted, which he probably mm-hmm. will. He could have, you know, a bad or uh, a couple of bad outings and, you know, he'll probably end up on the waiver wire. He's something worth keeping an eye on if there's, you know, an injury in that receiving core and production gets funneled a little bit. Then, of course, you're moving right back in like like you guys were talking about. But uh, but his position on this team, I don't think it's anything worth committing serious value to. So I'm kind of out on him unless, you know, maybe like last round, last two rounds or something if I. If I have a deeper bench, I've talked about this before. Everything's very bench dependent. If I have like seven spots on my bench, sure, I'll grab them and wait a little bit and see what happens. But otherwise, uh, I'm not sure it's quite worth the investment. But we'll see. So let's go on to the next guy on our list. This is DJ Moore, the brand new Carolina Panther. And he's going to be catching balls from Cam Newton, one of the best fantasy quarterbacks in the league. Whether or not he's the best passing quarterback, that is to be determined. Also, he's not. I can tell you that right now. But um, we'll talk about him a little bit. So, Travis, we're going to swing right back to you. I know you like him, and you know that I like him. But I'm going to shut up for a little bit and let the expert talk. So I want to hear why you like DJ Moore and why you think he could possibly have some value in a redraft league. Yeah, so I I think... um Obviously, he was the first wide receiver taken in, in the NFL draft. And so I think for a lot of people, they were worried that the NFL wasn't going to like D.J. Moore as much as draft Twitter like D.J. Moore. Uh, but realistically, it turns out, oh, well, it, apparently the NFL does like D.J. Moore quite a bit. Um, and what do they like about D.J. Moore? Well, they probably like uh, the fact that he was one of the best athletes at the position in the past you know, four or five years uh, overall. I mean, he just had a really balanced physical profile. He runs like, you know, four four two forty. He's got the crazy 40 inch vertical. He's got the, the short shuttle and all the agility numbers you want to see. So from an athletic standpoint, he checks those boxes. Uh, and then you got to look at the tape and see, uh, can he run routes? Yes, he can run routes. Yes. Some of the things that 
his his team used to get him open were definitely um, schematic in terms of you know just screens and short stuff to to get him open. Yeah, I, I see people knock him for that, but really, he was the only option in Maryland. Uh, it was like him and one running back uh, and for you know a rotation of nasty quarterback play uh, over his entire career. So he dominated. Uh, that offense and his dominator rating. I don't know if if, if your listen, listeners really pay attention to that, like the percentage of his um, overall offense, uh, well, his production in his offense, like in terms of receiving yards and touchdowns, was insane. Like over fifty percent this last year. He can clearly carry an offense, um, and he did that in college. Uh, so if if the tape's there, if he can run routes, if he can, if he has the athleticism, uh, there's really not many boxes that uh, DJ Moore left unchecked as a prospect. Uh, so then you got to go to the opportunity and you, you can knock Cam Newton all you want. You can knock the opportunity. You can say that Devin Funches is somehow going to be a, a wide receiver one still in this offense. Uh, I'm uh, People try to point to last season and, and act like that's the norm for the Carolina Panthers and act like, you know, we should expect this crazy ceiling for Devin Funches when the only reason he did anything was because Greg Olson was gone. Uh, I mean, like, I, I don't know what, what we're really excited about with with uh, Devin Funches. Uh, I, I don't know. A few podcasts really are propping him up to be um, the wide receiver one still on that on that team, and that's just probably not the case. Uh, DJ Moore is going to quickly show that he's the, the best option, and Greg Olson might have a lesser role than he had two years ago. So I, I don't think that DJ Moore's ceiling is crazy, but I think it's it's better than – Calvin Ridley is actually where a lot of people uh, are getting excited with him. I'm just not. I think Calvin Ridley probably gets 70 to 80 targets, and I think uh, DJ Moore probably settles in around you know 90 or closer to 100, honestly, which sounds insane because that's what you know people think Funches is going to get. I think that's just not going to be the case. Uh, so I, I like him a lot. I think he's going to immediately take some targets from Funches, immediately take some targets, even from McCaffrey, because even last year was just he he had all those targets that just out of necessity because they really didn't have their normal offense uh, in play most of the year. But uh, I, I like him a lot. But I probably said enough <laughs> for now. Yeah, I'll just jump in here real, real quick since you brought it up in regards to Greg Olson and his foot injury. So. Last year, Greg Olson went down with a Jones fracture in his right foot, which is basically a fracture of the bone on the outside of your foot. Um, it's really common in tight ends and wide receivers, guys that do a lot of sprinting and cutting. When you kind of plan on that foot and then go to pivot and change directions, it puts a lot of stress and kind of torsion on the foot. And we see that fracture happen a lot. Um, just for reference, if you guys have um, been familiar with the NFL in the last few years, it's the same injury that guys like Julian Edelman have had um, and Julio Jones and so it's it's one of those things that it could pop up again, and we see that it takes a, about a full year before guys are completely healthy from this injury, and there's about a 20% chance of re-injury when they do come back. So just something to keep an eye on, and if Greg Olson is limited again throughout the season, uh, I think more will definitely benefit. Yeah. All right, so I know that I'm the last of the three here that kind of like DJ Moore before we get to the hater over in the corner, just pouting and waiting for his turn, but... <laughs> Um, real quick, I, I, I'm a statistics guy. I actually do a lot of work with real data and statistics. So I was working with a friend on logging college football wide receivers, dominator percentage, as Trav was just talking about, and their physical profile via a spark metric that's pretty similar to the one uh, that you've probably seen on Twitter done by Three Sigma Athlete. So it's it's a little different, but it's similar. So basically, using both of those, you can do a multiple, multiple regression scheme and model out just how well a player is going to do in terms of uh, pro football references uh, average value metric, which is pretty good. It's basically like an NFL version of Dominator. So to save you all the gritty details, there were you know tons of information that we could draw from this. So the top three projected all time in terms of AV were two guys you know and DJ Moore, and the other guys are Calvin Johnson and Des Bryant. And I like that company. I like that company a lot. I think that DJ Moore is an electric athlete, and that's something that's required to be able to translate your skills at the next level, something where I think Calvin Ridley will fall short. Um, I think that DJ Moore has the capacity to expand on his game uh, and take what he's learned and 
just explode into the NFL. I think he is destined for greatness. I, I see him as, you know, without a doubt, my top rookie wide receiver this year and probably my top in the last couple of years. So I like him a lot, but we covered a lot of stuff. So I'll, I'll let I'll let Okada jump in here and give us some maybe some counter arguments, just kind of, you know, round out our takes a little bit and then let the let the consumer decide what they want to do with DJ Moore. Sure. So just to be clear, I wouldn't call myself a hater. I do like DJ Moore <laughs> a lot. Um, but what it comes down to for me is what is the target share going to look like and where those targets are coming from. You mentioned it right when you started it off. They're coming from Cam Newton, who, while he's a great fantasy asset, has not been the greatest quarterback for his receivers fantasy production. Uh, in fact, He's only ever produced one wide receiver one since he was drafted, and that was Steve Smith in his rookie year. Uh, and his average top fantasy scoring wide receiver in in those one, two, three, four, seven years since then, six, seven years, is wide receiver 23. So when I'm looking at that, and then I'm looking at, they've got Christian McCaffrey now, who's, I'd argue, the best pass catching back they've had in his tenure. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big Devin Funchess guy, so I don't think he's going to, I think it'll be kind of a 1A, 1B sort of situation with him and DJ Moore, but I certainly don't think he's going to be a dominating X, uh, and DJ Moore is going to get the scraps or anything like that. Uh, but I think he'll get his share of targets. And then Greg Olson is, is still there and has been, uh, a go-to guy for Cam for a long time. Um, so as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to get a lot of the action and Moore is a rookie. Uh, so I kind of see that wide receiver 23 mark as a high mark. I don't know if he can get much beyond that. And to one of Travis's points, I think he probably does have a higher ceiling than Calvin Ridley. And in fact, than most of the guys we're talking about today. But I think his chances of breaking into the, to a wide receiver two sort of situation are relatively no, low. Now where he's being drafted, uh, there's still value if he gets close to that. So he's definitely worth a look. I'm just not too sold about his ability to dominate that offense and how well that will translate with Cam Newton throwing the ball. You know, real quick, we uh, we we saw Christian McCaffrey get drafted to the Panthers last year, and and what did everyone say? What did, what was everyone saying? They don't pass to the running back, right? That was that was the pre 2017 notion, and their playbook evolved. And I think that you know it's possible. I I don't see Cam as being you know, a, a pure, awesome pocket passer, but he can get the job done and he can certain, certainly sling the ball. And DJ Moore is the kind of guy who can benefit from that. I think that their overall offense will be better because they were pretty much just relying on Funches last year. And that's not your ideal situation. So with more receiving options and hopefully, you know, Greg Olson comes back healthy. We'll see if that injury lingers, but, um, I think there's targets to be had, and I think there's there's going to be plenty of them. I think that DJ Moore could stand a benefit. So, just as just as a quick quick counter there, but also um, I will admit, if you're taking the last wide receiver one for Cam Newton's word, Steve Smith said that DJ Moore is the next best Steve Smith. So, well, you know what? I think that's that's written in the history books. Then, isn't it? I, <laughs> it's decided. I miss Steve Smith Senior. He was so fun to watch, but. Uh, Anyway, we'll we'll move on to other potential wide receivers that could end up breaking out into uh, NFL and fantasy stardom. So up next, we're going to talk about Anthony Miller. He got drafted by the Chicago Bears in, I believe, it was the second round. Yeah, fifty first overall, and so that's a that's a pretty considerable amount of draft capital and someone that obviously they liked enough. So they say that he might be filling in the slot receiver job with Allen Robinson on the outside. Probably Taylor Gabriel filling in as well. And they also have Josh Bellamy. But, you know, I don't really – I don't think he's much competition. I, I think – and actually, Kevin White is still there too, technically, if if he ends up being healthy this year. We'll find out. But um, it's an interesting situation. There, there could be a wide receiver in this group that kind of rises from the ashes and steps into that wide receiver too in terms of production for the Bears this year. You know, Mitch Trubisky's coming out in his second year. And he looked pretty good. They were pretty conservative with their play calling, but he looked good in what he was able to show. So, Travis, we'll go right back to you again because you kind of like Anthony Miller. And I, I remember seeing some 
some of your work on Twitter about him, and you seem to like him a pretty fair amount. So tell tell me what you think his outlook is looking like for the Bears. Yeah, if he's just a slot, I think that definitely caps his uh, redraft value early on. But I I don't see him just staying in the slot. I think uh, because of his frame uh, and, and his athleticism, a lot of people kind of assume that that's going to be the case. Uh, but I, I don't really think that he just has to stay in the slot. And I think Taylor Gabriel can be in that role, um, kind of like a specialist type role in the slot as well. Um, so I, I don't really know about him just getting stuck in the slot because, I mean, really, uh, Kevin White at this point, I, I don't know if they're going to just trust him to plug in and, and be that second outside guy right away. And I think Anthony Miller can swing outside, swing outside when he needs to. But even if he is on the slot, most of the time he can win there. So I'm not really concerned about him winning every single down. I mean, and, and I'm not really concerned about him being able to carry a considerable amount of targets either. I mean, when he was at Memphis, obviously it was lower level competition, but I mean, he puts together two of the best back-to-back seasons we've seen in a long time for college football, almost a hundred receptions two years in a row with more than 1400 yards and at least 14 touchdowns in two seasons. Uh, and, and so that's in, insane coming from a, a background of being a walk-on wide receiver. Uh, so I, I'm not really concerned about him and his route running. I'm not really concerned about him being able to win in tight situations inside or being able to swing outside and push vertically or get open over the middle uh, when he's asked to. And I think Allen Robinson being opposite him uh, just makes him even better because he's not going to have the team's best corner paying attention to him as a rookie and a smaller guy right out of the gate. So uh, I think he has a lots of different ways he can find opportunity in that offense. I think uh, an interesting, almost more just a kind of fun thought exercise than hard analytics, but we've been seeing and hearing and probably contributing to a lot of comparisons between this Bears team and last year's Rams team. Uh, with a new younger head coach, second year uh, quarterback who was drafted very, very, very high, obviously, um, and a potential revitalization of this offense for real NFL and for fantasy purposes after coming off of it, one of the worst coaches of all time. Both for both of them, mm-hmm. John Fox is like the new Jeff Fisher until he finally got replaced now. Um, so if you continue down that narrative, Maybe Anthony Miller is a little bit of the Cooper Cup from the Rams last year, who, when you talked about the rookie wide receivers, uh, Ken, was the one other guy besides Juju Smith-Schuster that was actually valuable last year as a rookie. Finishes a wide receiver 26 uh, in half point P- or half PPR. So, that, I don't know. It's just kind of a fun thought exercise, I guess. Um, but if this Bears team does take that step that a lot of people are hoping that it will, and that I kind of have a little bit of faith that it will. It could be that Anthony Miller has kind of a similar sort of opportunity. Yeah, well, I think I, that's... Oops, sorry, Ken, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. Um, real quick, I was just going to say, so it's kind of fun to think about, because in Kansas City, uh, Matt Nagy was there as a quarterback's coach for a while until last year. And what happened in Kansas City last year as far as the passing attack? It exploded. And so seeing Nagy move on to another team and get the head coach spot, it's awesome. But he's brought in, you know, mostly a college, actually, I think entirely a college guy as uh, offensive coordinator, uh, Mark Helfrick, I believe I'm saying that right. So it'll be interesting to see. I think that this passing game is going to like exponentially explode from last year and they could stand to benefit even the wide receiver three or four in this offense, which as far as where Anthony Miller ends up landing, uh, you know, I, I could see him being the third guy on this tier list by, by the end of the season. Maybe not right away, but I could see him kind of shining and, you know, beating out the other guys there. So, sorry sorry for cutting you off, Bets. Feel free to uh, go ahead. No, no, it's all good. I was just going to jump in and, and say that I definitely like Miller as a prospect and I like him uh, and his talent and I like his opportunity but at the same time when you think about that offense and you just brought up the Matt Nagy offense from Kansas City where they so heavily utilize Travis Kelsey as the tight end um, Trey Burton was brought in to be that that role player and that type of guy and we saw Kelsey line up in the slot a lot last year and so my concern with with Miller is 
if he profiles as a potential slot guy, will Burton take away some of that opportunity? Um, and to be honest, I just don't know the answer to that. So we're just going to have to wait and see kind of how that goes. And the second thing with, with the Bears, I think they're this year's Miami Dolphins. I swear every mm. single report out of there is positive about this player is going to put up career highs and rushing and receiving and Tariq Cohen's going to be the next greatest thing. And uh, so just be careful what you hear. I think they're even saying Kevin White looks good in OTAs. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not buying into any, any of it until I see it. Everyone looks good in OTAs. I could, <laughs> I could true. show up on the field with my beer gut and I think I'd look good in OTAs, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a risky situation. It's definitely something that uh, not worth probably drafting. I don't think he's even being drafted right now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but anyway, we can, we can go on to the, the next guy on the list here and kind of push through these guys a little bit since they're all kind of similar in terms of value, but this one kind of strikes me as a little interesting. So I'll, I might argue for him a little bit here, but, uh, Michael Gallup is a Dallas Cowboy and we know that they just lost Dez and that was a whole thing. And Jerry Jones is doing Jerry Jones things, but he steps into an offense that has just recently picked up Alan Hearns, and I don't think they've really changed much other than that. They have Cole Beasley still. They signed last year's bad boy, Katie Cannon, who's now been on, I think, six teams, but I don't think he's much of anything. Um, they have a couple of veteran guys. Not much going on there, so you know he might beat them out. I mean, there's not much competition. Uh, Their quote-unquote wide receiver one is Terrence Williams right now. Um, that's, that's not a good look and that's not a way you support Dak Prescott, who I think is fairly talented and kind of has a bad situation going on right now. You know, they lost some parts of their offensive line. They now lost Dez. They have their running back getting suspended. They got all sorts of things going on, but I think that, you know, some fresh blood in this receiving core is a good thing. And I think that he could find... Maybe maybe some spots where he could pick up some targets, but I don't know. Does does anyone not like Michael Gallup in Dallas? Let's put it that way. I mean, I think it's a decent landing spot. Does anyone not like it? I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Gallup just this year for for redraft, just because of I think the offense is is changing a ton, and I think Ezekiel is going to get career you know highs in rushing, and um, his stats are going to be out of control this year. I think that that is their offense and. Dak Prescott came out kind of interestingly a couple weeks ago saying that the team doesn't need a wide receiver one, um, which I would tend to argue against. I think every team could use uh, a Julio Jones, a, um, you know, Des Bryant type player back in his prime. So uh, I just don't think the offense is going to be passing a ton this year. And for that reason, I probably won't have much gallop um, on my team, but I, I like the player and Certainly, the opportunity is there, as you mentioned. The depth chart is is not scary by any means, and uh, he could certainly end up as a value in this year's uh, redraft leagues. Yeah, well, you know, Dak Prescott's throwing he's thrown the football 450 and 490 times, basically. So there's not like a huge amount of you know passing going on here. They're near dead last in the league in terms of attempts and yards and uh, touchdowns. I think they're a little higher, but basically, it's not. Uh, a rich man's game when it comes to taking wide receivers from there. I think, you know, even the fall of Dez over the last couple of seasons, we kind of saw that the way that offense was moving didn't benefit Dez at all. And Michael's a guy who's, you know, he's six one and 200. He's pretty, pretty big bodied dude. Um, I think that he could be someone they look to, to use in the touchdown or in the red zone, I should say might have some outside shots for some touchdowns, but you know, they don't have, Jason Witten anymore so who knows I mean Travis what what do you think what how you feel about this guy I mean I, I like Michael Gallup quite a bit I think he uh, just like Anthony Miller absolutely blew up against lower level competition I remember looking at their their past two seasons between the two of them uh, and just adding that up and just realizing that they would have eclipsed Corey Davis's four-year career <laughs> in terms of like if you just mix those two years and, and, and like if they had done that over their entire careers, it would have been just incredible. Like it's just like 5,000 something yards, like just crazy, crazy numbers between the two of them in those those two seasons. Uh, so as far as like non-power five school wide receivers, those two were 
definitely my top options for a really long time outside of another name we're going to get to here in a bit. But I mean, really, I mean, they, they just killed it. And one thing I love about Michael Gallup is he's got great deep ball tracking. I think he's He's one of the best in this class at that. I think um, he doesn't have the burner 4-3 something speed, but he can get deep and knows how to do that. I think that would bring an aspect that this offense and this team really doesn't have um, just yet. And if you look at his game and what he did in college, he can really do that. Uh, interesting, though, one of Dak Prescott's favorite wide receivers to throw to in college was actually Fred Ross who actually, from a physical stature standpoint, looks almost exactly like Michael Gallup. He's not nearly the athlete that Gallup is, but he was like a 6'1 and a half, 6'2 and then 205, just like Gallup. Gallup is a 6'1, 205, bigger bodied guy who can win over his shoulder, who can win in, in close and, and do a lot of things really well. Uh, so I think it, it could be interesting to see if um, Gallup immediately has some sort of rapport early on uh, just because he does a lot of the things that Fred Ross did, but he does them better. Uh, so I think he, he has a, a massive opportunity just because there's no one else there, but I think he could plug in and, and, and help Dak do a lot of the things that he does well, even better than he's done in the pros. So I, I like that fit from, from day one. I liked him landing uh, on the Cowboys quite a bit. Man, Travis, that is some knowledge. You just brought up a guy that I don't think I've, I've never heard of. Uh, that's why that's why we brought him on the show, guys. He's a, he's an awesome football mind. Um, and actually, while I was Googling him, I just thought that would be funny to bring up. I realized that his name is Fred the Boss Ross, uh, which is which is awesome. So thank you for uh, for dropping that knowledge on us tonight. Yeah, no problem. Fred Fred definitely wasn't exactly a vertical threat. Um, but but he could win in, in tight and win close and had some decent ball skills. Just never really made it uh, in the pros. He, you know, he was one of those guys that made it through the, the senior bowl process but never really stuck anywhere in the NFL. But uh, I just love college football, so I love love all, all these rookies and just talking about these players. So <laughs> always happy to do Tra- that. Travis, Travis has those college fun facts that we all come clamoring for. That's the good stuff right there. But we, we kind of covered, I think, as much as we can on this guy because it's, it's all going to come down to how this offense shifts gears uh, after they switch to Dak Prescott. They still haven't really found their identity, I think, uh, beyond running. I think it's just going to be the, the Zeke show, like you guys were saying. So, Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the best, uh, the best outcome for Gallup is for the Cowboys to be very bad. Because yeah. if they're winning running the ball with Elliott, they're going to keep running the ball and Elliott's going to set a rushing record and none of the receivers are going to do anything. <laughs> so 100% agree. Garbage time could could favor him as yep. far as, you know, this this first year goes. Um but anyway, let's let's move on to someone who I think is more maybe a a dynasty guy. I don't see him being a year one starter. I don't see him getting a lot of targets year one, but he's intriguing in terms of landing spot, and he's intriguing in terms of the guys in front of him are probably close to moving on, so to speak. So this is Cortland Sutton, and he's on the Denver Broncos, which of course is currently headed up by uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. They've been there now for quite a few years together, uh, and they've been holding down that one-two position without fail year after year. So last year, you know kind of in the wake of their whole quarterback ordeal, which I think they're still trying to figure out. They picked up Case Keenum, who, you know, is he the real deal? Was last year, you know, his actual baseline, or was he made out to be a little bit better because of the receiving options in Minnesota? We'll we'll find out, I guess. I I definitely I'm not gonna try and draft Cortland Sutton. But I'm definitely interested. And if one of those two guys gets injured, I am on the waiver wire like the next day trying to <laughs> throw as much fab or high priority waiver at Sutton as I can. Um, I think that's, you know, within the realm of possibilities. Two guys that are above the age of 30 couldn't really finish the whole season or play every single game. I, I wouldn't be shocked. So I don't wish, you know, injury on anyone, but. It's definitely possible as they start to age. So I know we have a couple of people here who don't really like him. At least year one, you know, redraft leagues. We're talking Cortland Sutton. 
Uh, Travis, why why do you feel like this year he's not so good? Well, I mean, just it's it's really simple with Demarius Thomas, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders being there. They're obviously going to be the go-to guys. They're they're the veterans. They're one of the best wide receiver tandems in this league still, even though they are older. Uh, so, I mean, unless something happens to one of them, he's really not going to have any relevant opportunity share there whatsoever. I mean, some people want to be optimistic and say that he's going to be outside and then they'll just slide Sanders into the slot. And maybe that's maybe that's possible. Uh, and maybe in some circumstances, but I don't see that being a consistent thing. So it's really just an opportunity issue with him. But I think very soon, because of the, the contract situation for both of them and the age situation for both of them, he's going to be the wide receiver one on that team, and he's good enough to be that guy. So like you said, if either of them do go down, he's instantly viable, instantly viable for, for flex value at the minimum. Uh, but uh that's really all. I, I won't be drafting him anywhere just because I'm not betting on an injury happening because that's the only way he has any relevant opportunity. Yeah, Travis, I just want to pick your brain a little bit about uh, about Sutton as a prospect. I know we're in redraft mode here, but uh, I know we have to move on too quickly. But just kind of give me your thoughts and give our listeners a thoughts. I've heard that uh, Sutton is kind of comped as Demarius Thomas. Do you agree with that? And you know, do you think that helps him to translate uh, not maybe this season, but next year? Yeah, he doesn't have the the elite level speed that Thomas had early on in his career, which Thomas does not have that anymore. He doesn't have that same level of explosion. So he he very much does look like and, and even play like in some ways uh, Demarius. So I think he can learn a lot from DT year one and plug in and be that dominant. I think he's a go up and get it guy, but he can run routes better than you would think, uh, especially the the uh, deeper you know, like the, the post and, and corner stuff. I think he, he can do that just fine. So I really like him long-term, really like him a ton. I think he's an absolute monster, and I, I, I kind of cross him between DT and Brandon Marshall, somewhere in that mix. Uh, so I, I like him a ton. It's just he's playing about behind two fantastic wide receivers, and both of them are capable of hitting around one you know 100 catches this year. So that's really my only worry with him but he's an absolute monster for the future yeah no I agree it's it's a situation that time will tell the tale so we got to kind of wait and see I, w- I would recommend not drafting that's that's my final seal of approval there but you know keep an eye on him that's that's definitely hmm. someone who's interesting so let's jump ahead to you know someone with a little bit more potential for year one and I think that he's a really intriguing guy um he looks great on tape and I think he's someone who can help out the Arizona Cardinals offense. This is Christian Kirk, and he is, you know, not a massive dude, but he, he's got a solid frame to him. And he's a guy who really played well in college. And, you know, Travis is going to be, of course, the guy who knows a lot more about this. So maybe I'll just kick it over to Trav, and I want to I hear what it is about Christian Kirk that you think that you know, this Arizona Cardinals offense who needs some wide receivers. Why is he the guy? And could he step up year one? Yeah, I mean, if looking back to even his high school receiving profile, I mean, he was a five-star wide receiver coming into his days at uh, Texas A&M. He was, and he hit the ground running. First year, he had like a 1,000 receiving yards. Obviously, he was kind of uh, not, didn't have the fullest route tree early on in his uh, college career, but he really figured things out. And I think he could have an instant impact and, and learn from one of the, the best to ever do it in Larry Fitzgerald. Obviously, Larry Fitz, you know, Fitz does the big slot type role a lot of times anymore. Uh, so Kirk may be, you know, if he's going to be on the field a lot, he may be out of his uh, normal uh, and future role. I think he, he really could be mostly in the slot in the future. But I think they're going to find ways to get him on the field. I think he's going to even return some. This year, return some kicks probably for them. Uh, so I think they want him to hit the ground running quickly and, and just get as many reps behind and, and with Larry Fitz and really getting to know his future quarterback and Josh Rosen. I think this team is going to be interesting. It's probably not going to be the best team <laughs> this year, uh, but I think that's okay and good. I think they just really have one of the best wide receivers in this class. Uh, and he's been one of the best wide receivers in this class by consensus for four, you know, three, four years already. So it surprises no one that he has a, you know, day two draft stock. Um, he doesn't have the perfect athletic pro- profile, 
uh, for to be a, like a wide receiver one ever. Uh, but as far as like a flex immediately, maybe uh, that that's not out of the realm of possibility. I think it just uh, where they actually use him. I don't know uh, just because it fits is probably in his most natural position already most of the time. So I, I, it's hard to say year one impact for him is, is a must grab, but he's one of my favorites this year for redraft out of any of this bunch. And I think he has a higher ceiling maybe than anybody just because there's not like a, you know, a solid wide receiver two option on this team. Yeah. I think with the quarterback position here, you know, and Sam Bradford currently being the starter, so to speak, uh, the veteran guy leading in Josh Rosen to his NFL career. I think that you, you have a good opportunity for Bradford to, be a guy who hooks up with Christian Kirk really well I think that you know he, yeah. he's a great long ball dude and you know he can he can absolutely sling it when he's healthy and that's the issue is will Bradford stay healthy but you know they drafted Rosen real high they got a, a contingency plan as far as the quarterback position they they have Mike Glennon number three now you hope they don't get to Mike Glennon but they do have <laughs> they do have a depth chart of quarterbacks who could you know reasonably get the job done and that's something that kind of helps me have a little bit more confidence in this. And I agree that the Cardinals are probably not going to be winning a ton of games this year. So that means garbage time, lots of passing attempts, uh, lots of trying out new things, kind of, you know, seeing what they have in Rosen once he gets, you know, on the field and starting. So could be some interesting games. I, I Seriously, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to be pretty games, but they're going to be interesting. So I look forward to watching the Card- Cardinals by about midseason, but... Um, does anyone, you know, uh, Betts or Okada, do you, are you having hesitations about taking Christian Kirk at all or any, any worries there? No, I don't think so. I think he, like you guys have talked about, has one of the best shots at a large target share on his team, just because like Travis said, there's not a wide receiver two there. Um, now David Johnson will probably be the target number two, uh, on that team as long as he stays healthy which I think we all hope will be the case. Yeah. Um, but he's going to be in it. And like you said, if they're in passing, uh, passing situations late in games a lot, if they're in garbage time, I think he's, his target share is going to be higher than most of these guys uh, that we're talking about in this pod. And we know that he has the talent to turn those targets into production. So I think that he's, I think he's someone I'm looking at late. Yeah, and just for just for reference, so here's you know for our listeners, here's the other names that he's competing with. So obviously Larry Fitzgerald, then you've got guys like Bryce Butler, J.J. Nelson, Chad Williams, um, Kobe Hamilton, and the tight end Ricky Seals Jones. So a bunch of guys that you know most people don't even know. So that just speaks volumes to how much uh, of a chance he has this year to be relevant. So he's a guy that I'm super excited about, and I. Hope I can get, you know, like as the last round pick in my draft or even, you know, scoop up week one or two off of off of uh, waivers. Um, so he's he's definitely someone that I'm looking for. Just, this just year. to no, go ahead. Trev. Sorry. <laughs> you mentioned Ricky Seals Jones. It's interesting that they, they were, you know, they were college teammates uh, and early on. I mean, a lot of people thought that Ricky Seals Jones, he was kind of like a big tight end wide receiver crossover, even in college. Like he was just a massive person. You know, he kind of came out and had a fantastic uh, freshman year and so in, in terms of dynasty uh, and Debbie people were really excited about Ricky Seals Jones uh, right away but then <laughs> they just one year later Christian Kirk comes in and ruins everything for him <laughs> and uh, and just you know the hype train uh, for Ricky Seals Jones uh, is a little bit uh, you know not not as intense because well okay Kirk's the guy now so he could do it again because a lot of people still think Ricky Seals Jones could be relevant this year as a tight end uh, for the Cardinals. But uh, I think Kirk could get into his opportunity and take away any relevance uh, uh, as far as tight ends goes on that team. And really, I mean, this team hasn't really thrown to tight ends ever <laughs> that I can remember for the most part. So um, I don't know. And just another way, just a little nugget there about him kind of taking any hope out of uh, Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, and his opportunity again for the second time in his career would be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect, Travis. Just take away one more tight end for redrafters. To be <laughs> Seriously, about, yes. there's, there's, there's too many left. out there, so we gotta we gotta thin it out. One yep. more guy that we don't have to worry about. Perfect. So <laughs> accurate. Um, I was gonna say real quick. I still have my pulse on Chad Williams just a little bit. You know, he's a round three guy last year. Could have an opportunity to jump into this. You know, into this lineup because he has a year under the system. 
ahead of Christian Kirk. So that might be a, a hindrance towards getting Christian Kirk on the field. Um, just something to keep an eye on as well. If he starts getting targets, you know, you want to, you know, keep your eyes on him for the waiver wire. But um, yeah, other than that, I, I think that we've said a fair amount about, you know, the the Cardinals and Christian Kirk's opportunity. I think he has a good opportunity. Uh, we'll hopefully see some good quarterback play from either Bradford or Rosen. I think it's a pretty solid tandem. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to kind of, um, we're going to move past. This is like the main group of guys we just went through. So what I'm about to do is I'm going to list off kind of the best of the rest. It's going to be just like a, a list of receivers that have maybe an opportunity, but it's not really worth going into huge detail about. Um, maybe we get some insight from Travis here in a little bit, but uh, first, we got James Washington went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We got Dante Pettis went to the 49ers. Antonio Callaway went to the Cleveland Browns. DJ Chark went to the Jaguars. Traquan Smith, Saints. Deshaun Hamilton, Broncos. Jamon Moore, Packers. Jordan Lasley, Ravens. Kiki Kuti, Texans. Deion Kane, Colts, and Trey Quinn, who actually has gotten some hype recently, uh, has gone to the Redskins. And he was Mr. Irrelevant, if you, if you didn't. Uh, watch the draft this year. So um, I think I think Travis has one guy out of this group. He he has a couple of nuggets about. Um, we can kind of keep a tab on that guy. So Travis, who's your best of the rest selection? Yeah, so my best of the rest uh, is just a guy that a lot of people are forgetting about this year, just probably because uh, he's on the Jaguars. <laughs> I mean, when Blake Bortles is the guy throwing you the ball, um, you know, it doesn't really spark a bunch of excitement uh, I think in, in most of our in most of our hearts and, and, and really just thinking uh, of the other opera you know other wide receivers there there's a bunch of guys that well they're just a bunch of guys uh, on that team but people forget that you know DJ Chark was a second round wide receiver selection yeah it, it, he's on the Jaguars but he actually has a pretty fun physical profile if you look at him I mean there's a reason he averaged almost 22 yards per reception this past year for LSU uh, and that offense is gross through the year, mo- most years. But uh, Chark was the exception to the rule uh, that this past season. And he runs, you know, he runs like a four three four forty, which is insane. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen his combine. He's got the crazy jumps to go up and get it. But he's more than just a vertical threat. He can go underneath when he has to, uh, and really, even in some ways, reminds me of uh, of DT and like taking the screen and getting to full speed really quick, like like DT used to do. For the Broncos, you know, like, like five years ago, <laughs> uh, he, he can, you know, he can do that. So I, I don't know where he fits. I don't know if he plugs in right away for redraft purposes this year. But if you look at the wide receivers, it's not like they have a bunch of studs. I mean, it's like really Marquise Lee is like their wide receiver one now, I guess. And D.D. Westbrook, you know, Keelan Cole. Uh, I mean, are these guys that you're really thinking, oh, yeah, this is the wide receiver one that of the future for the Jaguars. No, I mean, not, I don't think that I don't think any of them are even top 40 wide receivers in the NFL. And so and shark being a second round wide receiver, uh, they're going to want him to plug in play and have a role early on. I think he can return kicks this year for them uh, and earn some favor with the coaches. Uh, and if he beats out any of the top three wide receivers, I think he's probably better than all of them, except for Lee, maybe right away. I think there's there's some Westbrook truth the truthers out there, but I'm not one of those uh, at all. So Chark is just the forgotten guy in Dynasty and redraft in every format I can find because he's on the Jaguars, uh, and that just is just kind of an irrational hate uh, because he's probably immediately the second best wide receiver on the team, if not the best already. Uh, so I, I don't know what there is to hate with him. In many ways, he kind of looks like. Um, kind of looks like Allen Robinson anyway. If you stood them right next to each other, so the, on, the only little, thing I was, yeah, I was gonna say the only thing I was gonna say is, are are you worried at all by the quarterback situation? In, yeah, in Jacksonville. That's it. It's just like, can Bortles do anything? Can he actually get him the ball? And I think that's the that's the worry. And so the upside with him, uh, I think, is is capped a little bit. But if, if they give him some targets, if they give him an opportunity. And throw the ball his way. I think he's going to make up for some of the insane inaccuracies uh, with his frame. I mean, he's a six foot three. He's a little bit skinnier than you probably want him to be, but he's six foot three, has a forty inch vertical. I think that's a pretty decent target for errant passes. Uh, so, uh, is he perfect? No. If he was, he'd be drafted higher or drafted at all. But a name to know, uh, if you know, let's see, you know, maybe D.D. Westbrook or 
or Marquise Lee misses some time again, which he's been known to do. I think he could plug in and be the wide receiver one for them. And that wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think it surprised most people, but I don't think it should. Yeah. Uh, that's no, that's solid information. I mean, there's definitely someone who's going to rise out of that receiver group. It's kind of a collection of middling guys who kind of filled in in roles and, you know, they're, they're going through their own transition and they're going to be a good team for a while with that defense stacked the way it is. So good, good eye to keep an eye on, but Travis, Hey, thank you. This was an awesome show. You join us and gave us a lot of solid info about these wide receivers and, you know, what kind of shot they have at filling in, in a redraft league. You know, maybe if some of these guys aren't going to be useful this year, you know, our user base has knowledge for next year. They know that, you know, they could fill in a role that's being left vacant by guys who are going to free agency or things like that. And they have that information. So thank you so much for joining us on today's show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Glad to. Yeah, Travis. Thanks, man. It, it was great to have you on. You are uh, one of my favorite guys to follow on Twitter for not only, you know, dynasty, but you're just a, an all around great guy that uh, actually responds to his followers. And, and I think our, our following should get to know you well because you're an awesome resource. So it was, it was a treat to have you on. So thank you again. I appreciate it guys. Always glad to, join the pod and talk about whatever but uh always good to see you guys and and your uh, beautiful faces too so glad glad i could plus join you, you know travis now you get to put a plaque up on your wall that says first ever guest on the red shirts fantasy <laughs> football podcast so yeah or, or, or maybe right, or maybe well, even I'll, put it on your resume <laughs> you know it's it's pretty <laughs> yes. pretty prolific uh exactly. award there for you so thank you first we time. really appreciate it uh once again you can find him on twitter at ff underscore travis m uh, we'll go through our Twitter handles as well. We'll drop those maybe every couple episodes just to remind you guys. I am at Kent Wyrock, and if you have to know how to spell it, uh, it's W-E-Y-R-A-U-C-H, and it's super German. So uh, you can go ahead and find me on Twitter. And then Okada, shout out your Twitter handle, and then pass it over to Betts. That would be at Fantasy Sensei, if you need to spell that, S-E-N-S-E-I. Good luck. Uh, Betts? Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at the Fantasy PT. If you need help to spell that, just Google it. All right, and then, of course, one last thing. We like to drop this at the end of every podcast. We already have a few people sending in their reviews to get into the Listener League contest. We uh, just ask you guys to leave us a review on any of your podcast apps, uh, iTunes, Google Play. I think we had some confusion about whether or not they even have reviews, but if you have a way to leave us a review, by all means, let us know. Drop us a, a you know a follow on Twitter. Let us know how we're doing on there. And then once you give us a review, go ahead and either send it to our Twitter, which is at redshirtsffpod, or you can send it to our email, which is redshirtspod at gmail.com. And if you get that in, we're going to select some random drawings for a listener league you know, fantasy redraft league where we can see if you guys have been listening and you can steal DJ more from me and, you know, we'll just have some fun with it. So please go leave us a review. We really appreciate your time. Travis, once again, thank you for joining. We are going to head out for this episode, but thank you for listening. And we are the red shirts. Yeah,